0: For any of us who have been walking around on this earth for more than a decade, the Christmas season leans very heavily on nostalgia, right? I am an avid leaner in that direction, having actually even received the nickname, uh, the superhero nickname, Nostalgia Girl, from my husband, because anytime something is nostalgic, I have to ooh and ah over it and, and think it's wonderful and lovely, you see, there are things that we expect uh, to see and to smell and to experience this season that bring back uh, precious memories that we've had into the present cookies and, and twinkle lights. Right? special ornaments that you take out and put on your tree, the, the songs that we sing, the Christmas carols we sing, or the songs you hear on the radio that are absolutely obnoxious. All of these things hearken back to our nostalgia. And if you have heard uh, the Christmas story before, you may have a bit of nostalgia when you hear this story the scenes of, of Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem on a donkey. The innkeeper refusing them a place to stay in the night. The, the animals and the, and the friends with them in the stable. The three wise men who followed the star all the way to Bethlehem to greet Jesus. You see, there are things that we expect in the Christmas story, because tradition and nostalgia have told us about those things, but actually, biblically, we have no account of them. There is no account in any of the four Gospels of a donkey. Never is it said. Uh, in a, there is no account of, of an innkeeper in Scripture. There are uh, we don't hear of any animals or friends at. In the stable with Jesus, we actually don't even know if it was a stable, okay? And while we know that there were three gifts given to Jesus, we just assume that three people must have brought three gifts, but we actually don't know how many there were. All we have is wise men. I mean, there could could have been two, there could have been a hundred, but we know that there were three gifts, In no ways do these uh, bits of misinformation impact the grand story of the incarnation. That is that God would come and dwell with his created in the person of Jesus. But I do wonder if these little things have distracted us from the things that are there. The specifics of the incarnation that speaks to our souls and and our lives and to our experiences. And so today, we pondered the witness of Mary. She's pretty famous in the story, right? You've heard of her, and if you haven't heard of her, uh, uh, specifically out of Scripture, that you've heard a lot of songs about her, um, and you've seen a lot of pictures about her. But I have yet to hear good news about more of Mary More than her words, more than her responsibility, but about the whole of her being and her part to play in the incarnation. And the story might be familiar to you as we read it this morning, but I would invite you to to keep an ear out, an eye out. For not just the nostalgia of the story, what sounds familiar to you, but what the story is actually communicating about the implications for preparing for the incarnation that go way beyond donkeys and innkeepers and wise men. And so we will turn um, in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke is the third gospel in the New Testament. There are four gospels, um, and Luke is the third one. why? Because. All right? Luke is just the third because we will be reading Luke chapter 1 uh, starting in verse 26. You can take a Bible out. That's a, there should be Bibles in front of you. You might have to go on a bit of a search um, or the words will be on the screen. Luke 1 starting in 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, you saw that earlier, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled Will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What we have here with Mary is the first example of a whole life discipleship. See before this people followed God Yahweh uh before Mary but but certainly uh um they certainly they followed God, right? We have the, we have the whole Old Testament that bears the truth that people followed God, but but discipleship is different than what we were experiencing or what they were experiencing in the whole Testament, the Old Testament. Discipleship is particularly the work of conforming one's life to Jesus's life. All right. the life of christ discipleship is particularly the work of conforming one's life to jesus's life and mary's witness is the first example we have of a life that is conformed to the life of christ it is so easy to hear this dialogue like it reverberates in our memory and then we just let it be that a, a memory In our weekly staff meetings, we read uh, the the upcoming passage of Scripture each week, and uh, we reflect on it together. We share kind of what's going on in our brains, and I so appreciated what Amanda had to to say after we read this passage. She wondered in the midst of all this dialogue that's going on, she said, where were the pauses for Mary? I love that question. She then followed up, what was the the tone or the inflection in the midst of this interaction? What was Mary choosing not to say when she heard this news? I appreciated the question because we need to remember that Mary was a person. She had thoughts and she had feelings and she had a body. And, And all of those things were favored by God. It wasn't just that she was, like, holy and nice, and so God thought, what a great idea. I'll, I'll, she'll, she'll do just fine at this. She was a person. And so when the angel, angel tells her all that's going to happen with her, perhaps she pauses for a little bit. Perhaps her eyebrows come together in confusion. Perhaps her heart pounds wondering what in the blue moon this angel is talking about perhaps she even panics a bit trying to make sense of all this in this account that we have in luke mary speaks twice and the first thing she says is a question how is this going to work logistically all right biologically how is this going to work and it's a very fair question. It's a necessary question. I would like to say it's a discipleship question. How is this going to work with me? And why do you need me to do this? This is the wonder of the womb. Of what we know of God, of what we know, um, of what we know about God and what Mary knew about God, and what the, the gospel writers knew about God, we know that God is and was capable of doing amazing things. That God could create a cosmos with just a word. That God would light bushes on fire but not let them burn. That God would tear down walls. God would defeat enemies. God would perform miracles. We have the whole Old Testament account of all of those things. God is capable of amazing things. And the Son of God could have come in a million different ways. And the truth is that, that the people of God expected the Son of God to come uh, strong and, and powerful and, and conquering, all right? So the very fact that God would come to, to, uh, and choose to come as a, as a baby holds deep theological richness. And that is what we hold at Christmas time. But God could have done that in a very stark and simple way, just offered a baby to the world. The, a stork could have done it, right? Delivering this baby Jesus in its beak to Bethlehem, and gently placing it in a safe spot, and Mary would find the baby and thank the stork for making that easy for her. That, that would have been a miracle, and we could have read about that. But that's not what God did. And while we f- joke about it, and if you're in here and you have questions about where babies come from, you can talk to Paul. Um, <laughs> God didn't choose to do this. God chose Mary's womb. God chose a woman for this work. The womb is the place that God first came into the world. Yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was first conceived in a uterus. And while we are still left with questions about the biology and the logistics of all of this, we have enough truth to know and to grapple with this idea. You see, we're given a lot of clarity about what this would mean for Mary. The gospel writers didn't didn't leave stuff out. They said she was a virgin. They brought the, the story of her sexuality into the narrative. Her bodily participation in this story is not a fictitious add-on like, like the innkeepers or the donkey. It is the, the true, the, the actual blood and guts of the incarnation. God would, with us would reside in her womb. Her body would change and expand because God was there, because God with us chose to be there. God with us would be attached to humanity through an umbilical cord and a placenta. God with us would be delivered through blood and sweat and tears and tears. God chose to come by way of a woman's womb. These realities of the incarnation are obviously particularly poignant for me as I am pregnant. I feel this uh, in my body uh, more than I have at other times in my life. But this news, this good news, is not only meant for women, and it's not only meant for for women who have been pregnant or born children, so as to leave people out of God's story. We all have the womb in common. Each of us has come from one, all right? All right? Each of us was fearfully and wonderfully made in one. We have the womb in common with one another and we have the womb in common with Jesus. In the in Advent of 2019, I came across this image. It stopped me mid-scroll through Instagram, okay? And at first, I was very affronted. This was not uh, the image of nostalgic nativities that I had previously seen where Jesus lays in the manger and his halo uh, around his head casts a a joyous glow on Mary and, and Joseph. You can see it on their faces. Here is God with us, upside down. His halo casting a glow on the intimate inner body parts of a woman. I just had not even fathomed that that's how it was. The innkeeper and the donkey and the wise men were more of a Christmas reality to me than what we read about in Luke's gospel, what is portrayed in this image. That this was God's position and posture in preparing for his arrival, that this was God's chosen situation in waiting. God's chosen situation, head down, in the dark, surrounded in love and amniotic fluid inside the body of a woman. I don't offer you this image or this sermon to be edgy or or provocative, I have no interest in being inflammatory or offensive, but I do hope, I hope to tell the truth, a truth that perhaps has been buried under nostalgia and patriarchy or discomfort and to actually embrace all of what it means to be human and to receive Jesus. I do hope to set people free actually to wonder about this God A God that opens up a way for people in their own lives to receive Jesus and then to participate with Jesus in their families, in their communities. This is the wonder of the womb. This is the wonder of Mary's participation in the incarnation. Not just words and and songs and willingness, all of that plays a part, but her whole body being given to the Incarnation, and her whole life being changed. And this begs the question, how do we view the connection between discipleship, conforming our life to Christ, and sexuality? Because those things were not mutually exclusive for Mary. They were entirely inclusive. And these two things were never meant to be mutually exclusive for us. We don't only uh, surrender ourselves to God with our hearts and our souls and our minds and leave our bodies out of it. Mary's participation in the incarnation, when not overlooked, not ignored, begs us to ask about the role of sexuality in participating with God in the good news of Jesus. Now, this is a lifetime, a lifetime of discipleship conversation. And I don't mean to just, like, drop this off on your holiday list and then just leave you with this giant expansive question uh, that you're thinking about while also planning a Christmas menu. Daryl, thank you for uh, bringing that image down. But we do get to, we have to have these conversations. And I want to take great care in these conversations. And so first, I just entrust this notion to you, that you might allow the Spirit to ponder it with you and for you and for all of us so that we might have more rich and full conversation together. The angel shares this news with Mary that her womb would be the residence of of God with us. And her response is very significant. We read in verse 38, she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. But actually more literally, I love this. She says, let your word be assembled in me. Oh, let your word be be assembled in me. I wonder, was she speaking to the angel or was she just speaking directly to God in that moment? Let what you have said, she says, and what you have intended, God, would that be assembled in me? And she means this literally, not metaphorically, not just in my mind, God, not just in my soul, Uh, Gabriel was very clear, you will conceive. And so I think she chose her words very intentionally here. She said, let it take form in me. I will make space for this thing. I will offer myself to this process. Mary welcomes the work of God's assembly in her body, in her womb. This season of Advent that we are in, this season of of coming, of preparation, is the womb of the incarnation. God is assembling God's self here in the waiting, in the coming. And if we are to give ourselves to it, if we are to allow that assembly to happen within us, each of us is, is promised to experience Jesus and to experience the newness of life. So just to let God be assembled in us is like miraculous. And it's also a lot of work. It's uncomfortable. It is stretching. It is tiring. It is intruding. I so appreciate the kindness that I receive from so many of you, a number of you even this morning, who, uh, who see me, and the first question that you ask is, well, how are you feeling? Generally, I can say pr- pretty good. But it is a gift to receive the acknowledgement that, that carrying a baby is, is very trying work on the body and on the soul and on the mind, and you acknowledge that with me. Advent. is very trying work on the body and the soul. If we are to let God's word be assembled in us, it is going to be very exhausting work on our bodies and on our souls. Making space for God to assemble God's self once again in our lives Not just that we would experience or discover God anew in this season, but that we would actually find God with us, within us, requires something of us. And so I ask you, in this womb of Advent, how are you feeling? This is hard work. If discipleship is the work of conforming one's life to Jesus' life, to the life of Christ, then Advent is the season of particular importance for all of us because it is the womb work. And this is uh, conforming, and this is stretching, and this is altering, and it's adjusting, and it's uncomfortable, and it's challenging. And so I ask you, Where are the discomforts for you this Advent season? And what might they be saying about your discipleship? About your willingness to allow your life to be conformed to the life of Jesus? Sometimes our discomforts tell us about what's being assembled in us. Sometimes our discomforts prove that new life is within us or is being assembled in us. Perhaps in this season of Advent, this womb of Advent, you are experiencing grief and loss. You are up against things not being how you would hope they would be. I wonder if it's a sign that you bear in your soul, in your body, the hope of life and life eternal. Perhaps you're experiencing the discomfort of frustration or anger, uh, despair at the sorrows of the world, the systems and structures and powers and patriarchy that diminish so many. Perhaps it's a sign that you bear in your soul and your body a thirst for justice. Perhaps you are experiencing the discomfort of unsettledness, of being discontented, of longing for more. Perhaps it's a sign that you bear in your soul a divine hope. You bear in your soul God with us. And God is assembling God's self within you and within us as the people of God. And so as you recognize both the discomforts and and the new life that is causing these discomforts, I invite you to let it be assembled. Let God with us be assembled in you. Let God with us be assembled within us as the body. Let God with us be assembled in our beings. And may you know the good news of that truth. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the joy and the discomfort of this season. We thank you that you didn't leave out our whole personhood from the story. And we thank you that you actually wanted to be assembled among us. And God, we pray as we do this regular thing at the communion table that we would receive of you anew in the holy and sometimes dark places in this womb of Advent. Amen.